Greetings, brethren. Welcome to the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 2023. And as we say all the time, time marches on. Doesn't wait for anyone. Doesn't go fast. Doesn't go slow. But always on time. And that's the way it is with God and the Sabbath and the Holy Days. All of these are built into the creation. And so it's quite a thing that we understand that. We know from Revelation 13.8 that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. We know that the gospel was already determined before the ages of time. So when God created the earth and everything that's necessary for it, he built in automatically the things for his appointed feast. So let's come to Genesis, the first chapter. Okay? Genesis 1 And verse 14, beginning of the fourth day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide between the day and the night, and let them be for signs and for appointed times, seasons and for days and for years. And all of those have to do with calculating time for us. Now, he did this on day four because how many animals, insects, birds, fish, and so forth need the sun and the moon? So they know what they are to do. Now, let's read on here. Okay, appointed times. Now, that's what the weekly Sabbath is. So the first appointed time that was observed was by God and Adam and Eve on the seventh day. Now, that's quite an amazing thing, and it goes all the way through the Bible. We also find this, that Christ's crucifixion was on the appointed time, which as we have seen and we know is the 14th day of the first month according to the calculated Hebrew calendar. Let's come to Leviticus 23. Now this is very interesting as we cover every year. Because here we have in Leviticus 23 all the appointed times of God listed in sequence according to the calculated Hebrew calendar. Okay? Leviticus 23. And let's understand this. This is very clear. Protestant world never understands it. What God has declared... What God has commanded. If there is any change, 
God himself must make the change. And we know we've got the covenant with Abraham, which then comes the covenant with Israel, which then comes the covenant of the church with Christ. Okay. But all of those on the appointed times. And so God has these all listed here in Leviticus 23, not for the sake of offerings alone, but for the days in keeping them. And for all of those who think that the Sabbath would change from the seventh day to the first day, they are all in rebellion against God because he never changed it. And we know it says that Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, and since he's the Passover as we know, he's Lord of the Passover, and since all of the holy days God has decreed, he is Lord of them, which means he is owner and ruler and boss or master. And the blessings come from loving him and keeping his commandments. Now, all of these are listed in Leviticus 23 because God, in designing the Bible, has hidden these things from those who don't want him or from those who think they can take parts of the Bible here and parts of the Bible there and parts of the Bible in other places, and they can come and worship God. Okay? Well, we know that's not true. So here, Leviticus 23 and verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Concerning the appointed times of the Lord, which... You shall, now underline that, that means it is a direct command to do so and to proclaim anything else is against God. What you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Why are they holy convocations? Because God puts his presence in it. That's why. God never put his presence in Sunday or Christmas or Easter. Okay? So he says, even these are my appointed feasts. And notice what he starts out with. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is, the, it is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Okay? Now think about how 
the world today, there's so much sin everywhere. And why? Because they reject the word of God. All right? Let's read on. You shall not do any work in them. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the appointed feast of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their appointed seasons. Now, who made the appointed seasons? God did. And he specifically pointed out the sun and the moon and the earth for the appointed times or appointed feast of God. So all of these are annually, as we know, going through Leviticus 23. Verse 5, in the 14th day of the first month between the two evenings, and as we have seen, that is from sunset until dark. To be the, is the Lord's Passover, rather. Okay? And the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. You must eat unleavened bread seven days. Okay? And we know you're to put leaven out of your house, out of the things that you own. Okay. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any servile work therein. You can do whatever is necessary for the preparation of food and for the service to be conducted. Okay. But it is holy to the Lord. But you shall offer a fire offer, offering to the Lord seven days, and in the seventh day is a holy convocation. And you shall do no servile work therein. Okay? Now, that's this day. We know also that in the New Testament, so let's go there. Let's come to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Paul, the one whom the Protestants say changed everything so that they could keep their Sunday and Christmas and Easter and everything like that. And that is not true. Here, 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, we find this. Now, Corinth was a pagan city. Okay? Corinth, in all of the Greek culture, was wrapped up in the worship of all the gods, as we find out in Acts, the 17th chapter. Okay? So, here's what Paul writes, and this tells us what we are to do and the meaning of the day. Okay? Therefore, purge out the old leaven so that you may become a new lump. And we'll talk about that. It is constantly a renewing, a renewing, a renewing. Okay? even as you are unleavened, meaning that they unleavened their homes. But now, the meaning of unleavened bread has to do with your personal thoughts, with your personal behavior, and what you do. For Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed 
for us. Now, as we dwelt on that on the Passover day, the sacrifice of Christ was given because he was the creator of all human beings, and only his sacrifice can take away our sins. And only the receiving of the Holy Spirit after repentance and baptism puts us in contact with God the Father. All the good works that men do in the name of God, that if they are not according to the commands of God, end up being null and void and sin. Now then, we find back in Leviticus 23, the we're to take up an offering on the holy day. So at this time, we'll take a pause, and we will take up an offering. And remember, God goes by heart and mind and attitude, not by amount. But he does expect us to sow bountifully so that we reap bountifully. And so with that, we'll go ahead and take a pause and take up an offering. Now, welcome back. We've taken up the offering. Thank you for it. And as you know, we use it every penny that we can in serving the brethren, taking care of the things we need to do in a way that is pleasing to God. Now let's pick up right where we left off here in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 5. For this reason, because of the sacrifice of Christ, let us keep the, the feast. Now think about this for a minute. The Protestants like to claim the sacrifice of Christ, but they won't keep the feast. But the sacrifice of Christ is the reason that we keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? Let us keep the feast. Now, this tells us what we are to do. Because during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, leaven is a type of sin. So let's read it. Not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, this becomes important for us in how we understand how we're going to serve God. Okay? So, let's look at keep it in sincerity and in truth. Now then, that means that we are after we repent of our sins, we are to look in our lives and see what the other things are sin. Now look at it this way. Sin is anything in word or action or deed that is against the laws and commandments of God. And they're also called transgression. And they are also labeled as evil. And they're also labeled as wicked. 
Now think about it for a minute. Right at this time, the world is keeping Easter, a pagan Babylonian holiday, and they claim they are worshiping Christ, but they're not. Okay? All right? Let's understand what sin is. We know it, but let's turn there, and let's look at it for what it says. First John, the third chapter, all right? First John, the third chapter. Now, it's good we go back and review some of these basic things that we have here, because that way we never lose track of the truth. It's like anything else. The more you do it, the better you become at it. The less you do it, the worse you become at it. And pretty soon, you leave it off altogether. First John, the third chapter, okay? Verse 4. Everyone who practices sin is also practicing lawlessness. Now, that's what the Greek means. King James says is transgressing the law. That's true. But anything that goes against the word of God is sin. Goes against the law of God is sin. That goes against the commandments of God is sin. Okay? So that's why it is lawlessness. And the reason is we will see, because the human mind without the Spirit of God, and over a period of time and over generations, becomes absolutely evil and wicked beyond description, and today we're living in that kind of world. And that's why it's very important that we're keeping the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, so that we don't be engulfed by the things of the world. Okay, so let's read on. And you know that he appeared in order that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So right away, he shows there's a way out of sin, and that's through repentance. And we'll cover repentance here a little later. And repentance, as we will see, involves everything that we think or do. So keep that in mind as we go forward here. Verse 6, everyone who dwells in him does not practice sin. Now, you're dwelling in Christ if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. See, that's the key. And that comes with repentance and baptism and is maintained by prayer, by study, by repentance. And as we will see on the coming Sabbath, the most important place to clean out is the mind. And we will see how God wants us to do that. 
We're dwelling in Christ. Now continuing on here. Anyone who practices sin has not seen him nor has known him. Because there were those preachers coming out and saying, oh, well, we know all about Jesus. We were there when he was doing all the healings. And, you know, we have come from Judea, and we know that what Paul is teaching is not correct. See? And then you also had the interference of the pagan religions, so the truth of God is assaulted from two sides. Actually, three. from other religions in the world, from false teachers, and from our own lives. So that's quite an amazing thing. And it's really an amazing thing for those who are called the first fruit that we live in this world and we overcome sin. All right? So he says, verse 7, Little children, do not allow anyone to deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Why? Because if you're practicing righteousness and you have the Spirit of God, then you are counted righteous before God. See? That's what's important. Now, verse 8. Now, we want to see the contrast. Because we see unleavened bread means two things. You eat the unleavened bread, which pictures the sinless body of Christ and pictures the pure word of God. And you put out leaven, all kinds of leaven, because that pictures sin, transgression, wickedness, self-motivation, and all of that sort of thing. Okay? practicing sin. Now, that means living in it. All of those who are breaking the Sabbath are practicing sin. All of those who are keeping Sunday are practicing sin. All of those who keep the holidays of this world are practicing sin. All right? The one who practices sin is of the devil because... The devil has been sinning from the beginning, right? And he's called the father of lies, and he's called the deceiver, and he's called the wicked one. And it's said that the whole world is in the power of the wicked one. And that's what we're living today with Satan coming out of the closet and all the demons coming out as well, okay? Now notice, continuing, for this purpose, the Son of Man appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the ultimate thing, and that's all laid out in the holy days. Now notice, verse 9, everyone who has been begotten by God does not practice sin because the seed of begettal is dwelling within him, and he is not able to practice sin because he has been begotten by God. What happens with the Spirit of God when you sin? God's Spirit convicts you so that you can repent. 
See, that's the whole thing. That's quite a thing. And that, in a nutshell, tells us the whole meaning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right? Now let's read on. Okay? Verse 10. By this standard are manifest the children of God and the children of the devil. Now think about this for a minute. If you are not a begotten child of God, then who is your father? Satan, the devil. And Jesus said, Satan, the devil, is the father of lies, especially those lies which twist and turn the truth of God to lead people astray. Okay. By this standard are manifest the children of God and the children of the devil. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. All right? Practicing righteousness. What is the declaration of righteousness in Psalm 119, verse 172? All your commandments are righteous. That's why we keep the commandments of God. See? That's why we overcome sin from within. That's why we have to fight against human nature. All right? And it says, everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, and neither is the one who does not love the brethren. For this is the message you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Okay? Then it goes back and refers to Cain. All the way back to the beginning of the Bible. That's an amazing thing, really, when you begin to understand it. Now let's look at human nature. Let's see what that is like. Let's see how it it's going to be in our lives. And why does human nature come down to being this way? All right, let's come to Jeremiah 17. Now, we all know this one, but we need to rehearse it because we still have the sin within, as we will see on the weekly Sabbath, called the law of sin and death. And that has to be overcome. So let's come here to Jeremiah 17, and let's see what it says about Human nature, our ways, even though they look good, that are contrary to God. Jeremiah 17. So let's pick it up here, beginning in verse 5. All right? Now think about this. As I read this, why is the world in the mess it is in? All right? Verse 5. Thus says the Lord. Stop and think about that. Cursed is the man or the one who trusts in man. Or you can say, not only in man, some other man in the world or some other woman in the world, but your own self. If you trust in your own self, 
you are cursed. Even though you may be successful, because you will see in time that your success comes from Satan and not from God. And makes flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. Isn't that interesting? God judges the hearts and minds of every one of us. That's why we are told how to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all of our being. See? And that's the key to overcoming sin, and that's the key of staying close to God. Okay? For he is like a shrub that is in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness or a salt land that is not inhabited. Now notice verse 7. See, we need to get the contrast. Leaven, those who are against God. Unleaven, those who live God's way. Those who are cursed of God, those who are blessed of God. And don't look at it as if it's just physical blessings or physical uh, objects that you own. The biggest blessing is having God's spirit and knowing God's way, see? Notice what it says. Verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Huh. Now we'll see more about that. Okay. And whose hope is in the Lord. Now, then he tells us he wants us to grow spiritually. See? And remember what Jesus said. He said, I am the vine and my father is the husbandman. Everyone in me that bears fruit, he purges so that it brings forth more fruit. And everyone that does not burn, bring forth fruit is cast out and cast into the fire. See? All right, let's read it. For he shall be like a tree planted beside the waters. It sends out its roots by the river. Think about how deep are your roots, spiritually speaking. That you love God, that you keep his commandments, that you believe him, that you live by every word of God, as Jesus said. Your roots are deep, see? And it shall not fear when the heat comes, but its foliage shall be green, and he shall not be worried in the year of drought, nor will it come from nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Now then, here comes verse 9, see, because you need to get the contrast, the sin and the non-sin. Verse 9, the heart, our way of thinking, our way of emotions, everything that we do as human beings without the Spirit of God, is deceitful above all things. Now think about that in relationship to the world that we see today. All things. Look at the government. 
Look at education. Look at the churches. Look at the financial markets. Look at whatever. See? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows it, and he wants to change it. He will give you the Holy Spirit and increase that and constantly supply you with the Holy Spirit if you are coming to him every day. If you are praying to him, if you are studying his word, if you are living God's way. Now, if you're not, the opposite will happen. Okay? Here's why. I, the Lord... Now, it's a personal thing, isn't it? What did Jesus say? God knows every hair of he- on your head, right? Well, think about this. I, the Lord, search the heart. What you think, what you act upon, those deep inner thoughts that you have, all by yourself and lonesome, that nobody else knows but you and God. Or you and Satan. That's why we need the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay? I try the reins. Now, the reins liken to a horse. And the reins, you steer and move the horse where you want it to go. Now, what it is that God has put in our minds and brain is what he calls the reins. So that he can at any time know what we are thinking, know what our emotions are, know how we're expressing ourselves, know whether we love him and keep his commandments and so forth, and especially if we have the Spirit of God. So keep that in mind, okay? I try the reins even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Let's come down here. Verse 13. Verse 13, O Lord, the house of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me, God says, shall be written in the book of truth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. So then, verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, and you shall be my praise. Okay? So then that's what it has to be there. Okay? So it shows we can come out of all of those difficult things. All right? Now let's look at what else it has to say about human nature. Let's come to the very first verse of this chapter. And let's see how sin can become so ingrained 
especially when you think you're doing well. Verse 1, the sin of Judah is engraved with the pen of iron and the point of a diamond. It is carved upon the tablet of their heart and upon the horns of their altars. Now, doesn't that describe it today with how the wickedness is? Wherever it is? Yes, indeed. Okay, it becomes that way. All right, now let's come here and see some more things concerning this. Let's come to Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. And verse 21. Now, here's what we need to understand and to realize in everything that we do. See? Proverbs 5 and verse 21. Okay? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Isn't that something? Jesus talks about there are seven spirits that he directs. It goes into the whole earth to find those who are seeking him. Those who are truly seeking him can find him. Okay? Now, it's going to be because of his spiritual interaction between God and the individual. That's what leads us to repentance. Verse 22. His own iniquity shall take hold of himself, and he shall be held with the cords of his sins. See, unless you repent, you're going to be all tied up in sin. And if you don't repent, it says this, and he shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall breathe his last. Now, that's telling us quite a bit, right? And how God works and deals with every one of us. Okay? Let's see how it is in the world. Let's come to Romans, the third chapter. Here, this is very interesting indeed. Romans 3. Now, we'll learn some things just like we did in the first epistle of John. But Romans, the third chapter. Okay? Let's see what the world is like. Let's see how it is all around us, okay? Now, Romans 3 and verse 10. Well, we'll go back to verse 9. What then? Are we of ourselves better? Now, think about this. Because God has called us and we repented and received his Holy Spirit, and because we're living in the way of God, are we better than the people in the world? Well, no. We are separated from them, but we're not better than them. See? We've answered the call of God, but they didn't. So Paul says, not at all. For we have already charged both Jews and Gentiles all with being under sin. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. 
We'll see that in just a little bit. Exactly as it has been written, there is not one righteous, not even one. There is not one who understands. There is not one who seeks after God. Now, if you seek after God, you will find him. They've all gone out of the way together. They have all become depraved. There is not even one who is practicing kindness. No, not so much as one. Sound like the world we're living in today? Think of it. Yes, that's the way it always turns out. When sin is allowed to grow and grow and grow, and we will see that the what is said in the New Testament, Paul wrote it in two places, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin in your life sooner or later leads to more, and you're full of sin. See? But we are to put out the leaven, we're to put out the sin, and we're to put on the righteousness of Christ and the commandments of God and the truth of God and the love of God in everything that we do. Verse 13, their throat is like an open grave. With their tongues they have used deceit, and venom of asp is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's why the world is in the mess that it is in. And that's why God has called us from it, see. And this is the world that we are looking at. And this is what we are fighting and overcoming, see. So we're going to see what we need to do in order to come out from underneath this, see? And that is called repentance. Now, many people feel sorry for doing wrong. And they regret what they have done. But that's not repentance to God, see? Now, let's come here, since we're in Romans, let's come to Romans, the second chapter. Okay. Okay, Romans 2. Let's begin in verse 4. Paul writes this. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the graciousness of God leads you to repentance? Why? because you see and understand the sacrifice of Christ. See? And it is his shed blood and his shed blood alone that brings forgiveness. But you have to confess your sins to him. And you have to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that you can have your sins forgiven. But he says here, if you don't acknowledge that and know that God leads you to repentance, okay, but you, according to your own hardness and unrepentant heart, are storing up wrath for yourself against the day of wrath and revelation of God's righteous judgment. 
who will render to everyone according to his works. On the one hand, those who with patient endurance and good works are seeking glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, because you're repenting. Those who are not, then they get indignation and wrath, verse 8. Verse 9, tribulation and anguish upon everyone who works out evil, both of the Jew first and of the Gentiles, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works good, both to the Jew first and to the Gentiles, for God is no respecter of persons. For as many as have sinned without law, there are a lot of people don't know about the law of God, and they don't know why their lives are all messed up, shall also perish without law. As many as sinned within the law shall be judged by the law, because the hearers of the law are not just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Okay? So, that's what God wants us to understand. Now let's come to 1 Peter, the second chapter, and let's understand about the sacrifice of Christ, everything he went through. Okay, 1 Peter, the second chapter, just a few pages back. Okay. Verse 21, 1 Peter, the second chapter. But to this you were called because Christ suffered for us. Now think about that. He laid down his life willingly. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was nailed to the cross. Suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should also follow in his footsteps. Who committed no sin, neither was guile found within his in his mouth, who when he was reviled, remember when he was brought to be judged by the governor and by the Sanhedrin, he did not revile in return. When suffering, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins within his own body on the tree, so that we, being dead to sin, may live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Okay? So he carried our sins. How did he do that? He took upon himself human nature, and he was to live and not sin. And only that, as God manifested in the flesh, and only that, with a perfect life, that one sacrifice and the shedding of his blood will cover the sins of all who truly repent. That's why when we repent, we are to put away the sins. We are to put out the leaven. We are to put in the righteousness of truth 
in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds, and the way that we live. So that's the whole purpose of it. So let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back for the second part. Now let's continue on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 2023. Let's come to 1 Peter, the third chapter. And let's see about the sacrifice of Christ. And let's see how we are to really repent. It's just not a matter of feeling sorry for your sins and all is taken care of. It has to be with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your being. And also, so that God will intervene and help us and strengthen us and lead us in what we need to do. Okay? Now, First Peter 3 and verse 18, because Christ indeed once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And that's the whole purpose. Bring us to God so that we can be in his family, so that we can live forever with God, the way God wants, in peace and love and obedience and happiness. But we've got to see this life, that it's evil without God. And then the sins that we commit, we need to repent and draw closer to God. To lead us to God, on the one hand, he was put to death in the flesh, but on the other hand, he was made alive by the Spirit, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now let's look at a a good example of repentance, okay? And this one here, is is a classic one. But let's also understand that don't wait for repentance. Let's come here, first of all, to Psalm 86. See? Psalm 86. Here's a good example of repentance right here. And let's understand something. God is there to forgive at any time when there is repentance. And repentance means just like getting rid of the leaven, we cease living in sin. And then we put in the righteousness of God. Now we'll see that a little bit later. Here's Psalm 86. Now you do this in prayer. Verse 1. Bow down your ear, O Lord, answer me, for I am poor and needy. Yes, we don't come to God because we're important, and God has to do something for us because we are of who and what we are. No. God is not a respecter of persons. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. That is true. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, you are holy, okay? O oh Lord, my God, save your servant who trust in you. See, 
That's what's important, trusting in God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry unto you all the day long, crying out to God, his forgiveness, his mercy, the application of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because we are justified and made right through the blood of Christ. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Because only God can make us good. Only God can give us the attitude and everything that we need, you see. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. That's why when you sin, because you will, as we will see what it is like on the Sabbath during unleavened bread, you repent of those things. Go to God right away. Okay? Ready to forgive, rich in mercy to all those who call upon you, and that has to be in spirit and in truth, that you really mean it from the depths of your heart and soul and mind and being. See? Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. That's quite a thing, all right? Let's see another thing here concerning repentance. Let's come to Psalm 38. Because many times when we sin, God is there to correct us. And that correction sometimes can be very difficult. Other times, it cannot be so difficult. But here it is, Psalm 38 and verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, neither chasten me in your fury. Okay? No, we don't want to come that way, okay? For your arrows stick fast in me, and your hand presses heavily upon me. And here, David, whatever the condition was here, he was really down and out and sick and really in terrible shape. So he's crying out to God. And he says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. You can't carry your own sins. You cannot put off repentance so that God will forgive you. Don't carry that weight around, okay? So he says here, verse 5, My wounds are putrefied and fester because of my foolishness. Now, we don't know exactly what it was that he had, but look at it this way. When you carry sin and you don't repent, it leavens, right? That's being putrefied in a sense. That's why we are to put the sins out. 
Verse 9, My Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants, my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also is gone from me. Okay? Then he says, even the ones who love me have forsaken me. Now let's see the depths of repentance that God wants. And it's through the sacrifice of Christ. And the depth of repentance that we need to keep and maintain is that which is with our whole being. See? We can't treat it lightly. We can't just treat it as something that is just a little thing indeed. See? Because Christ's sacrifice was a great thing indeed. And it is his blood. And it is his stripes. And it is his, his whole life. And everything about it that God applies to us. Now, that's the greatest thing in the world. Because, you see, like it says there in Romans 5, that we are conjoined to his sacrifice when we repent. That is, laid across the body of Christ, spiritually speaking, for the forgiveness of sin. Now, here in Psalm 51, here this shows the whole process of getting out the leaven. You search deep in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and in your being and ask God to help you and cleanse you and be merciful to you, see. Because when you sin, you sin against God. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Now notice how he labels sin. See? Transgressions, iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. You must have that in inner conviction against sin and see how sin really acts in your life. Every one of us. Everyone before God. Okay? Because this... Now, you may have sinned against someone else, but that sin is also against God. So not only do you need to repent of that, but you need to repent to God because all sin is against God. Verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you might be justified when you speak and be right when you judge. Quite a thing. God is always right. See? That's what we need to understand. 
God is never wrong. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, because we're all born with the law of sin and death in us. Okay? And in sin did my mother conceive me, not that it was of an adulterous affair, but because the whole process of human life is stained with sin. Now here's what God wants. This is what God wants. Now let's read it here. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Now what did Jesus say on the Passover night? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's how we have our sins forgiven. Because sin is against truth. Sin is against God. And he is there ready, as we read, to forgive. Okay? That's why it's so great that we understand the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is to put away the self, put away the sins of the flesh, and to walk in newness of life, God's way, his commandments, led by his spirit, led by his word, okay? You desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you shall make me to know wisdom, okay? Now that's what we have to do, all right? In the way that God wants. Now when we do that, then... We trust in God. Okay? Now let's finish this off here so that we get the full thing. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and the hidden parts. You shall make me to know wisdom. Purge me with isop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't that what God says in Isaiah, the first chapter? Yes. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Then hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And here is the key. This is what God wants. Okay? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's what God wants. See? Steadfast spirit within me. Okay, now here, let's come to Ezekiel 20 and verse 41. And here shows how God will receive us when we repent. And we yield to him to keep his commandments. Okay? God says here, verse 41, I will receive you with your sweet savor. That is, if you're praying, asking forgiveness. When I bring you out from the people and gather you out of the lands in which, I have, which you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall 
bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I lifted up my hand to give to your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways, shows what kind of repentance God will grant. And all your doings in which you have been defiled, and you shall loathe yourself in your own sight for all your evils which you have committed. See? That's the kind of repentance that God wants. Now, let's see the action that we are to take. Because when we repent, we're putting out the sin. God is forgiving us. Then what are we to do? And how are we to do it? Let's come to Colossians, the third chapter. This tells us what we are to do and how we are to do it. Colossians, the third chapter. And what we are to put in with the unleavenedness, okay? Colossians, the third chapter. Now, this is one of these chapters which tells us and reminds us and instructs us on what we are to do so that we can be in right standing with God. Verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised together with Christ, that is, out of the watery grave, seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things that are above and not on the things on the earth. Okay, hold your place here, and let's see how that is done. Let's come to Romans, the 12th chapter. And what putting in the righteousness of God, the laws of God, the Spirit of God, and yielding to God, the loving of God, the loving of the brethren, and everything that we do. Chapter 12 and verse 1. I exhort you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service. Now, we'll see that Colossians 3 expands what this spiritual service is. And do not conform yourselves to this world. We're not to live like the world. Think like the world. Act like the world. And think everything is fine. No. Now here's another little secret you need to learn. You cannot take the good from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and transfer that and graft it into the way of God, because it will eventually lead to destruction. We have to take the good of God and the righteousness of God and the truth of God and put that in, see? Not conform to the world. Do not conform yourself to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed, changed. And this change comes about, 
by the renewing of your mind. Taking out the leaven of sin and putting in the unleavened bread of truth and sincerity. Transformed by the renewing of your mind in order that you may prove what is well-pleasing and good and the perfect will of God. Okay, back to Colossians 3. Now here he goes into more detail. And this shows the whole process of how unleavened bread is to be observed by us. Colossians, the third chapter. Now let's pick it up here in verse 3. For you have died, that is, in the watery grave of baptism, and your life has been hid together with Christ in God. See? Conformed, conjoined to the sacrifice of Christ, and were to walk in newness of life and be renewed in spirit and live God's way. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, that means at his second coming, then you also shall be manifested with him in glory. So that's quite a thing, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Now, let's come to Philippians, the third chapter, and see how Paul lived and reacted to this in his life, Philippians, the third chapter. And he had a lot to overcome. And he counted himself as less than the least of all the saints. So think of that. Think about how we're not to lift ourselves up in vanity, not to think about how much we have done which is good and which God expects us to do, and think that we're something great. Now you see, the Apostle Paul, when God called him, he had to destroy all of those things in his life which he thought were of great benefit to him. Philippians, the third chapter. So he says this. He talks about how his life was and what he had to give up. Okay, And he tells them that in order to stay right with Christ, not only do you have to watch the things without, but the things within, but the self within, and how he had to experience that himself. So he says here in verse 4, Philippians 3, For though I might have reason to trust in the flesh, If anyone thinks he has cause to trust in the flesh, I the more. But let's see what he looked at that was positive for him until God called him and he saw that how through repentance, how evil, all of the good, even though he thought it was good, that he was doing. Okay? So he lists them all out circumcised the eighth day 
now this all according to Judaism, of the race of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, with respect to law, a Pharisee, the strictest sect of the Jews, having all the traditions of the Jews, all replacing the commandments of God. With respect to zeal, persecuting the church. Boy, and didn't he think he was doing good? Yes, he got the official letters from the high priest to go get those Christians and take them and persecute them, throw them in jail, and even some of them killed. With respect to righteousness that is in law, blameless. He did everything right according to Judaism, meaning according to human ways. Now, if you don't have the book, Judaism, Revelation of Moses, or Religion of Men, or the series we have, Scripturalism versus Judaism, well, you write in for them. We'll send them to you because those are important so that you will be able to understand the difficult scriptures of Paul. Verse 7, Yet these things that were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Loss. So you have to forget all the things that you did. Forget all of the things that you thought were right. Okay? But then truly, I have counted all things to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, okay, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Now notice how he viewed them and count them as dung. Now, the Greek there is skubala, okay? That I may gain Christ. See, this is putting out, now putting in. You put out all of that. Now he talks about Christ. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is derived from law, that is the law of Judaism. See, he didn't say the law of God because Jesus said, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments, right? Okay. But the righteousness, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God that is based on faith, you keep the commandments of God because you believe God and you believe the commandments of God. You keep the instructions of Jesus Christ because those are the instructions for life. All of those together. And this is what it is all about concerning unleavened bread. You get rid of all of that which is leaven and that which causes things to be leaven because if you don't, 
a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Isn't that what Paul wrote? Yes. So we are to purge it out. And then we're once you get that out, we are to bring in the righteousness of God. His truth, his love, his character, the motivation of Christ in our life to do the will of God in our lives. Now notice verse 10. And to know him, that is, see him face to face, and the power of his resurrection. That's the whole goal we're looking for, brethren, resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death. See, that's how he viewed what he had to give up. And he gave it up willingly. And he gave it up because he saw how wicked and evil that it was. Just like Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, try the reins. See, so now we put in that which is what God wants us to do. So notice what he says here, verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, always in the forefront of his mind, the resurrection of the dead. That's what it is, see. And that's the goal. Verse 12. Not as though I have already received or have already been perfected, see, because growing and overcoming is being perfected constantly, constantly. And that perfection only comes through Christ and through the Spirit of God. But we must be actively involved in it, actively doing it the way that God wants, see. Or I have already been perfected, but I'm striving, This is what we need to do. This is how we are to live, see? Every day, day by day, week by week, Sabbath by Sabbath, month by month, feast by feast, all the way through however long we live in complete dedication to God, okay? But I'm also striving that I may lay hold on that for which I would, was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, now notice, see, we have a long way to go. Now think about what Paul was doing here. Here he was in prison in Rome, writing this tremendous epistle to the Philippian to encourage them to stay fast with God, to grow, to change, to overcome, see? So he says, brethren, I do not count myself as having attained, but this one thing I do. So here's what we need to do. We've seen we need to repent of sin and put sin out of our lives. We need to bring in righteousness through obedience and love to God and of his commandments and of his truth and of the way of Christ. So he says, 
this one thing that I do. Forgetting the things that are behind. All the sins that you committed and repented of. All of what was gained in the world to you. But was actually sin in the eyes of God. That you forsake. That you put it behind you. Forgetting the things that are behind. Let that all be in the past. And reaching forth to the things that are ahead. Okay? That's it. That's why the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's why the things that we cover during this time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Not only putting out the things that are wrong, but putting in the things that are good and right with God through the will of God to walk in God's way and to keep his commandments and to love him, see, and to learn the lesson which the children of Israel didn't learn. So verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it always has to be. Press toward the goal. Why we were called. Why we were baptized. Why we received the Holy Spirit of God. Why we do all of these things. See? There it is right there. So then, let as many as be perfect be of this mind. So this is how we are to think. It's like we covered already, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay? And if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal even this to you, which then is the sin within you have to overcome. Now, we'll talk about that on Sabbath. Nevertheless, in regard to that which we have attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Doing the will of God. Loving God. Loving the brethren. Loving the word of God and the truth of God and everything about God's way. Okay? Brethren, be imitators together of me and bear in mind those who walk in this way as you have us for an example. Okay? Now then he gives a little warning because we've seen this too. So it happened in Paul's day. It's happened in our day. So we need to understand it. Okay? And realize that these things will happen. We pray for them that they may repent. We pray that they may come to themselves so that they will understand what they need to do. Okay. For he writes here, For many walk contrary. I've often told you of them and tell you now with weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, for they mind earthly things. Okay? Now, then he draws the contrast. Don't do that. 
Don't do as those who put aside God's ways. No, no. Keep your mind on God, the kingdom of God, the grace of God, the sacrifice of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the value of repentance every day, as we will see. Okay. So then he says here, he says, but as for us, the commonwealth of God exists in the heaven from which also we are waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to bring the kingdom of God on the earth, who will transform, change, metamorphose our vile bodies so that they may be conformed to his glorious body. What's it going to be like to have a spirit mind, a spirit body, and to see Christ? Apostle John writes that we will see him as he is because we'll be like him. What a tremendous thing that is, see? So all of this, this is what keeps moving us forward. The power of God, the forgiveness of God, the greatness of his truth, the righteousness of his holiness, and the whole purpose that he's working out for each one of us. Okay? Be conformed to his glorious body according to the inner working of his own power, whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. This is why we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that we put out the sin and we put in the righteousness. We forget the things that are in the past and we look forward to the kingdom of God. We look to God the Father and Jesus Christ for everything that there is. And we know that with the power of the Spirit of God, they are dwelling in us to lead us and guide us so that we can have God's purpose in our life fulfilled so that we will be in the kingdom of God when we will be completely unleavened, sinless, and perfect as God wants us to be.